It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Brian S. Richard has supported independent tech news directly for about a day. You want to be like Brian? Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Thursday, May 23rd, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And from the Podfeed Podcast, I'm Allison Sheridan. And uh, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. We are going to talk about Tesla. We're going to talk about gender bias in your voice assistant. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about a lot of things, uh, including Rotten Tomatoes changing how they display some ratings, which means I'll disclose that my wife works for Rotten Tomatoes. It's going to be a jam-packed show, folks. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. The world's largest contact sh- contract rather, chip maker, TSMC, said that shipments to Huawei would not be affected by U.S. restrictions for the time being. TSMC spokesperson Elizabeth Sun said that the company is assessing the impact of the U.S. restrictions. Lenovo reported a tripling of quarterly profit on strong PC sales. The company said most of its products are unaffected by tariffs, but CEO Yang Wanqing said it has contingency plans to shift production to its centers outside of China, such as India, Mexico, Hungary, Brazil, and the United States. PC and smart devices revenue grew 10% on 9% growth in shipments, and mobile lost money despite revenue growing 37%. PC outgrowing mobile. It's a topsy-turvy world. Uh, Walmart began selling its own 8- and 10.1-inch Android tablets under the On brand. So they can stay on brand. It's got two ends, O-N-N. Uh, has a 1280 by 800 IPS display, 2 gigabytes of RAM, 16 gigabytes of storage, runs Google's Android Pie, and the 8-inch model costs you 64 bucks. <laughs> the 10.1-inch, 79 But those are amazing. <laughs> Bloomberg says it... A- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Obtained internal documents showing that Amazon is working on a wearable designed to detect a user's emotional state based on the sound of their voice. Amazon patented a system back in 2017 to determine emotional state by vocal analysis and offer suggestions. The wristband, which is codenamed Dylan, uses that system. Dylan would pair with a smartphone app and eventually tailor responses based on our emotional states. A beta test is underway, but it's only experimental at this stage. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I just picture it saying, Allison, you're getting too emotional. And then I break it with a hammer. <laughs> Your TSMC hammer. Uh, software developer Panic unveiled a handheld 74 by 76 by 9 millimeter gaming device called playmate has a 2.7 inch black and white display with two buttons a d-pad and a crank on the side as an additional control mechanism instead of game cartridges playmate comes with a series of 12 titles released over time with new titles unlocked each week starting with kranken's time travel adventure the playmate should ship in early 2020 for 149 bucks with pre-orders available later this year all right it's adorable i always loved panic's ftp program Yep. So how about that? Oh, look at that. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about where Google Duplex is these days as far as how many humans are not only using it, but being the duplex voice, Sarah. Well, Google says that about a quarter of calls that are made with a Google Duplex system start with a human rather than the AI that the system usually relies on. Now, you might say, well, why is that happening? Google says... This happens when the system is unsure if the business being called actually takes reservations or if the user of duplex is suspected to be a spammer. Google also says about 15% of calls that begin with AI will need a human to intervene at some point. Google uses data from the human-made calls to train its AI. Yeah, this is in response to a New York Times story that was kind of calling them out. Like, ah, oh, we, we were getting this this person that said they were a human. Were they really? Well, yeah, it turns out they were. And Google's like, yeah, we, we do this uh, because we're trying to make duplex better and we want to make sure that it doesn't cause undue confusion on the side of the restaurants. This story confuses me, though. This is saying before they call, they already know that they're not going to use the, the AI to make the call. So how do they know that this that the the user is suspected to be a spammer if they haven't called yet. I'm going to guess 
precog. Uh, but I'm, I'm guessing that certain businesses that are listed, that the duplex user says, yeah, use duplex to make my reservation. Uh, Google probably has an index that says, are we sure they take reservations, right? Either oh, by okay. knowing, okay, they've got an open table link. Okay, totally know that. Or it says very clearly on their website, for reservations, call, et cetera. But if it's unclear, they may kick it to a human because that is a more complex negotiation if they're like, oh, we don't take reservations. And you can say, oh, okay, I'm really sorry. We'll note that, add it to the database, et cetera. That seems to be what, what they're saying here. Okay. What, what's interesting to me is, okay, if we're saying 25% of those calls end up having to be made by a human because the system is just a little unsure and doesn't want to get it wrong. So how many calls are made per day, meaning how many humans need to be on hand to be there and step in? That's my question. Because we don't really know that duplex is in early stages. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm guessing they probably don't have that high of usage. Um, and but it's like, don't... is it like five people sitting around an office being like, eh, duplex is being weird. Let me call the restaurant. Or is it like, you know, a huge call I, center? I, again, I'm, I'm going to guess it's a call center of some size, whether it's huge or yeah. not. I don't know. But I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing they have they have some people dedicated to this. Maybe they I'd, I'd be curious to know if, the, if there are people dedicated or if these are people who are also customer service for other things. And then they right. just get routed a duplex call every once in a while. Like, oh, OK, I got to make a duplex call. Here we go. That would make the most sense. Yeah. Uh, I do I do think it's interesting that, you know, in this world where we sort of fear AI taking over, every time we see it used practically, it needs help. It can't do everything that people are afraid yeah. it can do yet. Yeah. We're afraid of duplex. Look, duplex doesn't even work. <laughs> uh, Rotten Tomatoes is changing how it calculates its audience scores. These are the ones with the popcorn icons next to them, not the rotten or fresh tomato scores based on critics' reviews. Those are the famous ones you see advertised in movies and everything. That's a whole different thing. If you go to RottenTomatoes.com and you look, you'll see a little popcorn score. That's the audience score. That's what they estimate the audience thinks versus... Versus the critics. Well, recently the company stopped user reviews from being posted until after the movie premiered because people were bombing movies they didn't like or because they wanted to make a political statement of some sort. Uh, so they said, well, we're going to make it so that until the movie's out and the general populace can see it, we're not going to allow reviews to go up. However, they went a step further today. Now, when you leave a review, it will ask you if you want to verify that you've seen the movie. If you're verified, your review will count toward the audience score. If you're not verified, you can still leave your review, but it'll just get lost in the list of reviews. It will not count towards that audience score. At the moment, the only way to get verified, though, is to buy a ticket through Fandango. Fandango is owned by Fandango, which also owns Rotten Tomatoes. They're all part of one company with movie clips as well. Uh, and that is majority owned by Comcast. So if you buy through Fandango, then you can verify your Rotten Tomatoes review. Rotten Tomatoes says it's working with AMC, Regal, and Cinemark to verify purchases direct from those theater chains later this year. Uh, they're working on some ways to make sure that if you were part of a group and you didn't buy the ticket yourself, you'll be able to verify your review. Uh, but that's forthcoming. Right now, it's only the purchaser of a ticket on Fandango that can leave the verified review. Well, there have been enough gaming of systems that you mentioned, Tom, that I can see why this is moving in the right direction. It sounds somewhat convoluted, but yeah, if you're, if I am hell bent on leaving a bad review and I have to go through a couple more hoops, then I probably will because I, I really want my review to count. If I, if I feel that passionate about movie in a good or a bad way, I would want it to count, but yeah, the, the being opening it up to more uh, movie chains would 
make more sense. Yeah. And Lau Roman asked a good question. How about outside the United States? Uh, Fandango operates in multiple countries. It, it operates it's outside of the United States, but it doesn't operate in all countries. So if you're in a country where Fandango doesn't sell tickets, then, uh, you know, if you're outside of Brazil, they operate in Brazil, but maybe they don't operate in Colombia. And if you're in Colombia, it's like, wait, I want to leave a verified review. Well, you can't yet. I haven't figured that part out yet either. I never noticed there was anything but the tomatoes. I never noticed the popcorn. So now I'll look for it. Yeah, I I can't. <laughs> well, sometimes they vary somewhat wildly. Yeah. So I usually just stick with the critics. And I think most people do. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of the, the same sorts of things that are happening everywhere on the Internet where, you know, people try to hijack a system to make a point. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is trying to combat that. And uh, as I mentioned earlier... I have healthcare thanks to Rotten Tomatoes because that's where my wife works. So <laughs> take that in. I've got good news for everybody. Ad tracking, not always evil. Yay, we can just go home now. Now, ad <laughs> attribution looks at something called conversion, which is the data around ads being clicked and leading to purchases, something companies need to know to better spend their ad dollars. But of course, once they're tracking you, then they'll want to know everything about you that they can possibly get. And they can. Apple's developing something called privacy preserving ad click attribution rolls right off the tongue to solve this. To solve this, the system limits the number of campaign IDs that makes it harder to track individuals. Only the website where the ad was clicked can measure those clicks. That cuts out third-party tracking. The browser will occasionally delay sending the conversion data for up to two days to keep it from being associated with other browsing data. And then this is all done at the browser level to limit what data the ad networks and merchants can even access at the beginning. The system is available in a preview release, and Apple is proposing it as a web standard through the W3C web platform incubator community group. You know, Sarah, this really confused me, and I'm going to have to ask Barb Bouchatz, who explains everything security-wise to me, uh, what the distinction is here. But in Apple's Safari user guide, they say if you select prevent cross-site tracking in preferences and privacy, they say, and I'm quoting, unless you visit and interact with the third-party content provider as a first-party website, their cookies and website data are deleted. So mm-hmm. What is this for if I can already check that box and none of this ever happens well, in the first place? N- not everybody checks that box. Okay. But <laughs> why do they have to come out? So that with this privacy preserving ad click attribution is part of the WebKit uh, consortium thing that they're part of, that they open source and all that. I just... I don't understand what it is. They already had this. The, well, this is... But right now... This would it's be used, a standard, it's not user like chosen. A, this would and, be default. This yeah, would okay. be... No, whether you've... Ch- decided to check that tick box or not, uh, this is going to happen and it's going to prevent that from happening. And and the reason they haven't made a default is they don't want to have that backlash against advertisers. So they're, it sounds mm. like their solution is let's create a way where the advertisers can get that conversion rate tracked that they need uh, and everybody agrees evil. they need without violating privacy. And then we can protect the privacy of more users that way. Okay. And it would I'll, apply I'll, to more than Apple if anybody more than Apple was using WebKit. Yes, and that's why they're submitting it to the W3C to try to get other get it up. Yeah, okay. other browser makers on board. Uh, please do still ask Bart about it, though, because I'm very <laughs> curious what he says as well. Right. A report from United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organizations says people will speak to voice assistant machines more than their partners within the next five years. The report is titled, I'd Blush If I Could, Closing Gender Divides in Digital Skills Through Education. This report alleges that Amazon and Apple's voice assistants fueled gender stereotypes. 
female voices are used preferentially in household devices versus navigation in, in vehicle devices, which tend to be male voices. The study recommends not making assistance female by default and to use the assistance responses to discourage abusive language. The study notes that the percentage of computer and information science majors in the U.S. has dropped from 37% to 18% in the last 30 years and calls for more women in technology development roles to help avoid this kind of bias. Now, I thought this was was a fascinating study. Um, they, one of the things they showed, they've got a little chart in the article uh, at CBS News that shows the responses of the four different assistants to abusive languages. And it was really abusive language, I should say. It was really interesting to me how submissive Siri was. I mean, they say these awful things to her and she's like, oh, I could blush. Well, I, I would never teach my daughter to respond that way, right? I mean, that would never come up. But the Google Assistant would at least say things like, I don't understand when it was being, somebody was being obnoxious. Which is what uh, Amazon's Assistant usually does to me when I'm being, I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but sometimes I'm frustrated uh, and she'll just kind of sit me down. Uh, I, it's funny, I, I, agree with a lot of what you just laid out, Allison, and it, there's some interesting conundrums and some, 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 some thoughts that I have on this that go at a deeper level. But I will say that because I do use Siri quite often, I have for a long time, and especially when I'm mobile, that's just, that's my AI of choice. I did switch to a male voice just for fun, just to like mm -hmm. do something different. And it just really bothered me and I couldn't deal with it. And I don't think it was because it was a male voice. It was because I just didn't want change. I liked things the old way. <laughs> I had become familiar with her cadence and the way that she did things. No, there might be more to that. And I didn't really think about it a, 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 that much until we started talking about this. But I do think that there's a lot of gender bias. And so, so many times we are unaware of it. And that's for, for everybody. Yeah, I, I think the um, this article in particular was not or this this story was not so much about how often we say, I'm not talking to you, Siri, or Amazon, or whoever. Um, it was more about like actual abusive things. Um, you know, if you say you're hot to Siri, she'll say, oh, how can you tell? Where, you know, Google Assistant will kind of dodge it and say, some of my data centers run as hot as 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, there are more profane examples in the article. And that's where uh, Google Assistant just goes, my apologies, I don't understand where Siri's over there saying, oh, I could blush. And Alexa says, well, thanks for the feedback. You know, that is weird. I don't know. I, I have trouble envisioning a team of women writing that response and choosing that as what we would have written. I, I think there's a, a reasonable chance the researchers are correct. And if there was a higher percentage of women working on the programming of the, of the responses, you might not get that same kind of response. I have uh, the male voice set for Siri. Uh, and so I'm going to try something real quick here. Cause I I've never done this before. Are you going to be profane? Hey Siri, you're hot. I'm just well put together. Aha. Male voice, different response. Now I don't know if this study has an exhaustive list of the responses, True. uh, but that does seem to be a more male centric, uh, response. I'm just well put together. He's very well put together is, a, is definitely a phrase I could hear. So that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. The, the responses do change. Maybe they pulled out the most subservient ones. That's possible. Uh, 
they also said that in uh, in Europe, they tend to use male voices more uh, because they have a history of male domestic servants in well, upper class families. That starts to feel like, well, then every response is bad uh, of an assistant. <laughs> and and I'm not sure that those countries have more of, uh, of a tradition of that. I mean, does the UK have the male voice by default? I thought it had the female voice by default. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, and a lot of this is it's a it's it's. It, it is an evolution of the conversation of when a company might introduce, you know, a, a chatbot is a little bit more modern, but some sort of helper, helper assistant, you know, and, and you, you kind of get these female names over and over, you know, and after a while people are like, well, hold on. I mean, you know, why, why is the assistant always a woman? And, and I think that that, that introduced a really interesting conversation, but we're still having it because, as 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 this AI becomes more and more robust, yeah. If your assistants have different answers for some sort of a you know a cheeky question or or, or worse, why? Yeah. So I think I think this gets back to the general uh, diversity thing. Like we've talked a lot about uh, Google having problems with. Uh, what their AI recognizes as an African-American, for example. And if they had a diverse workforce, maybe those mistakes wouldn't have happened. I think this might fit into that same category. And it just keeps coming back to, we got to get more girls in the, in the tech. Yeah. Uh, there, and there's, there's, uh, I just did a Tech Republic top five on, on ways to improve recruitment of women in IT. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was based on an article that was written by a couple of women at Tech Republic, uh, based on some actual research out there. So you can go check that out at techrepublic.com. Um, that, that is going to help. I mean, I look at this too and I wonder why isn't there a gender neutral voice that I could choose? Mm-hmm. Why does it always have to be male or female? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that is possible to create. Uh, so there's yeah, there's all kinds of questions about how this sort of thing reflects our gender roles. I I don't think it's as I don't think it's you know dangerous to society, but something important to think about. And another example, like you say, Allison, of of where a a more diverse workforce would would help us. Uh, have better products. Side note, John Flowers wrote in, not even related to this, but I think it's a wider version of the same talk, uh, telling us about a talk he heard from Karen Bartleson, past president of the IEEE, speaking about ethical design. He says after her talk, he asked her if people should feel bad for yelling at their Amazon Echo or Google Home. She said that, yes, some people treat their home devices like pets and don't like it when people yell at their pet. I continued the question with, if we have affection for our devices, we won't be willing to put them in places of danger, like firefighting and chemical spills. And she said that this is definitely why we have to be careful giving too much affective behavior, affect as in emotion, to robots we need to not care about. But that may change as robots eventually achieve sentience. Googly eyes. Googly eyes. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Too cute. Won't do anything. What are you going to do? Reprimand him? Oh. <laughs> well, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Uh, today in an email to employees obtained by Reuters and, and actually easily obtainable everywhere across the internet right now, uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said the company is on track to deliver a record number of cars to customers in Q2. Previous high mark was 90,700 delivered in Q4. Then they had a drop off in Q1. And the company says it has 50,000 new orders as of Tuesday. Of course, 
This leak, if you can even call it a leak when it was spread as far and wide as it was, happens a day after Consumer Reports described Tesla's new lane change assistant function as like monitoring a kid behind the wheel for the very first time. We talked about that on the show yesterday. Well, we got an email from a Tesla driver, Craig, who says, as an owner of a 2017 Tesla Model S, I'm not quite sure where Consumer Reports is making their observation. Autopilot is a huge stress reliever as someone that drives very long distances almost every day. The system lets you know well in advance of any lane changes and is fully customizable from mild all the way to a Scott Johnson Mad Max level of lane changes. No, seriously, it has Mad Max. And it has Elon has suggested even adding an LA mode. The system used to be like a 17-year-old driver, but now is solid and a joy to use on the highway. Anyway, just a thought from a fan in Orlando, Craig. Well, thank you, Craig. We also have another brand new, newly minted Tesla driver with us. Uh, Allison, uh, you sent us a video of the lane changes that your Tesla does. How do you feel about all this? Well, I think I might know what they're talking about. Now, I haven't done, uh, there's like 28 different kinds of autopilot-y kind of features in the Tesla. So you have to be accurate or you don't have to be. You could choose to be accurate about which one you're talking about. The one I have experience with is where you're in um, uh, autopilot mode. And so it's steering and it's staying within the lanes and it's uh, slowing and stopping depending on traffic. If you turn on your turn signal, the uh, it has solid blue lines showing you the lanes it thinks it can see. You turn on your turn signal, the lane you're trying to turn into turns into a dashed line. If there's a car or anything impeding you changing lanes, it will turn red dashed. Then when the traffic clears, it will move out and it, it'll turn blue dashed. It moves out. And then once you get into another lane, now it's all solid blue. So that's not completely the total autopilot drive, navigate me from here to there mode. But what I noticed, um, in some cases, we put it, turn on the turn signal, it waits till the car goes by, and then it smoothly moves out very graciously. But I was driving in some pretty heavy LA traffic, and it was, it did jerk face mode where it could make it <laughs> because it accelerates zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. It's a bullet. It, it could accelerate enough to not slow the guy down behind me, but I never would have pulled in front of that guy. And I realized one of the things I think it, it can never understand is how long have you been waiting to change lanes and how long is it going to be? So, you know, you've been waiting for three minutes to get out of this darn lane and nobody will let you in you would make the turn that it did. But I could see that there was plenty of space behind that guy. I would have let him go, you know, and go after him. So I wonder whether they ended up in a bunch of situations where it did what it could safely do. Yeah, without the context of, of, yes, being gracious to your fellow drivers or the fact that everyone's been cutting you off and, you know, you've got to get over a lane or something. Yeah, and how jerk face are you? That's I'm I'm kind of wondering whether that might be part of it, because in, in two very different circumstances, it was a jerk in one and not in another. Yeah, but there uh, this, this may just be an example of the difference between what objectively is safe and what we psychologically consider to be polite driving. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I didn't feel unsafe, but it was like, okay. Yeah. I, I've, I've been accused of being an overly defensive driver. So whatever, that's just, I like safety, but what if the, the, the person or the team over at consumer reports with their model, you know, going through those tests had a certain way that they feel about how one should drive. Yeah. Their own emotions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, it's yeah. AI all over again. <laughs> yeah, it might be part of that. Um, I, the other thing I wanted to comment on, though, was this uh, this high mark they're saying they're expecting, uh, or at least Elon Musk is saying that he expects they're going to deliver a record number. Remember, the, um, the federal and state tax rebates 
are being diminished for Teslas because they have shipped so many cars. Once it gets past, I think it's 200,000 200, cars, a given manufacturer, they start phasing out those tax rebates. So it was $7,500 last year. At the end of the year, it dropped to $3,750. By June, it's going to cut in half again, which is one of the reasons I bought in April. Mm-hmm. So um, that might be causing another acceleration of, of, the, of the purchases. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean like these, these numbers are bad or something, but it does. Well, it, good. It's like, if this is the thing that's driving it may, maybe that drives Tesla to a, enough of, of a scale that it can continue to, to sell them at higher numbers, even when uh, it, it loses the subsidy. If enough people have them and, and the prices can come down because they're manufacturing more of them. Problem for Tesla up till now has been they can't make as many as people are interested in. And so that that really is what they need to fix. And it seems like this memo is saying they're fixing it. Yeah, it did take me three weeks to get my car, but it was kind of a special order. It wasn't one that was in inventory. There, It is possible to get cars in inventory much more quickly. Um, I found the overall buying experience to be really, really frustrating. Hmm. You got a website and you go on there and you put some stuff in and then nobody will talk to you until you have a delivery date. They won't have any conversations. Nope, don't know anything. No idea. Nope, nope, nope. They said it'd be two weeks for my car. It was almost three weeks. Nope, can't talk to you. Don't know anything. Nope. And and mm. you can and they tell you to download the app, but there's nothing in the app but a picture of the car you don't yet have. Fifteen minutes before your delivery, all of a sudden there's this flood of wonderful information. Here is how you can learn about your car and what you can do and blah blah blah. So it's, it's really fun. But that time from when you place the order until you have a delivery date is really frustrating. How like a tech company. <laughs> also yeah. between mad max and insanity mode i mean <laughs> yeah what, are you doing yourself any favors <laughs> about people you know be, uh, buying into the idea that all all this tesla ai is really really safe yeah I, you know that is very interesting you know it it does make a lot of I, it, Steve put it really well when we were driving back from Fresno on a long trip he said that having the self-driving in the lanes allowed him to pay attention to big picture stuff more than am I driving between the lanes. So he never felt like he had any ability to stop paying attention. That was not on the on the playing field at all. But he wasn't looking at the lanes. He was looking at situational awareness of vehicles coming up on his left or maybe there's a tire, a piece of a tire in the road in front of him. He was paying attention to those things instead of concentrating on steering. So I think it made him a little safer, but it just doesn't feel that close to self-driving to us yet. Well, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on others. DailyTechNewsShow.reddit.com. If you hang out on Facebook, Facebook.com slash groups slash DailyTechNewsShow is your new favorite group. The mailbag is full of emails and calls to us. It is. Speaking of googly eyes, uh, we got a couple good emails about this. Jeff wrote in and said, just listen to today's show. He's talking about yesterday's show. Wanted to share my Marty the Robot experience. And he had he had sent a couple pictures, said, I wish I had a better picture showing the googly eyes. But my 18-month-old son, Caden, loves Marty. Every time we shop at Giant, we have to track him down and say hello. Marty has sensors that check the floors for spills and messes, alert staff by paging them to the department. He moves very slowly, and he beeps every time he changes direction, so you can hear him from a few aisles away. I feel like the googly eyes definitely makes it easier to accept Marty as something that is there to help. And then he even wrote in again and said, I've now been back to giant. Here's a better picture. <laughs> Marty is really cute. He's he's adorable. He's very tall. 
Yeah, he's well, tall. Yeah, and from from his non googly eye side, you kind of go like, mm, I don't know, how cute is that? His face is quite cute. Yeah, we I, I can see why they put the googly eyes on him because when you're seeing the side without the googly eyes, it looks pretty imposing. Like, uh, in exactly. fact, we had an email from <laughs> Caleb who hates Marty because he beeps all the time and he takes up the aisles and he doesn't like him, uh, but. I think Marty really does appeal to children because Scott also wrote in and said a couple of months ago, we saw Marty in a local giant food store and my four-year-old daughter loved it and followed it through the store as it navigated to its charging station. We didn't see the googly eyes until it turned around to dock. The eyes are only on the right side of the robot. The giant store had some Marty stickers and coloring pages for to enjoy, and it was a good intro to robots for her. Well, I'm glad to see they both spelled googly the same way. I was struggling with how to spell that the other day. Mm. <laughs> and I know we're very precise about spelling and grammar on this show. We'll have to check with the uh, the uh, the Academy of on how to properly spell googly. I I think no e g o o g l y right. That seems yeah. Funny. Yeah, that's the way I would do it. Yeah, googly, but not Google. Just a different kind of Google. Well, thanks, everybody who wrote in about Marty and and everything that you always write in. Keep them coming. Also, thanks to Allison Sheridan for being here today. Allison, where can people keep up with your fabulous work? Well, the best place is podfeet.com. And I'm doing a little segment calling called Tesla Tech, where I'm kind of spitting out little bits and pieces that, that I'm learning about the cool tech in the car. But I did want to uh, just kind of shill one other thing. I did a video tutorial for Screencast Online on Text Expander, which is a text expansion program for the Mac and Windows. Uh, I started out real slow explaining how it works for the noobs, but I accelerated up into some of the really advanced stuff you can do in it, like uh, embedded snippets and date math and even some programming stuff. It's really cool, and I'm very, very proud of it, and that is at ScreencastOnline.com. Hey, folks, uh, if you want more of me, I've been doing some uh, guest appearances this week. Uh, ComedyFilmNerds.com. I got to sit down and chat with those folks about some hot movies coming out like Rocket Man. And just this morning, I joined Patrick Beja's The Phileas Club. I know Patrick's schedule has prevented him from being on Daily Tech News Show. So if you miss Patrick... Uh, Go to Frenchspin.com and download the Phileas Club. It's me and a pro-Brexit Brit named Gareth, uh, all talking about uh, things like Brexit and the Alabama uh, law and all kinds of stuff. So go check that out at Frenchspin.com. And thank Phileas you, everybody. Club. Sorry, I got I just got to plug Phileas Club, man. Awesome, awesome, awesome show. Oh, Never thanks, miss Allison. it. Love it. Yeah, uh, it is one of my essentials, too. Uh, thanks to everybody who supports us at Patreon, patreon.com slash DTNS. I have a uh, by request editor's desk coming out this weekend about spoilers. Uh, if you're at the associate producer level or above, you get that. So go become a member if you aren't already at patreon.com slash DTNS. Feedback at Daily Tech News Show is our email address. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Join us if you desire and find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Shelly Brisbane on the state of accessibility technology. And Lynn Peralta will be back tomorrow, too. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 